0: Hello and welcome to The Stack. This week we celebrate 10 years of IndieCon, the annual independent publishing festival in Hamburg. Plus, Louise Long from Linceed Magazine on her new project, Linceed Suppers. And finally, To Have and To Hold, a brilliant title based on a collection of paper bag ephemera. Enjoy the show. From Idori House in London, this is The Stack. 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show with Nina Prader, curator of IndieCon, the annual independent publishing festival that takes place in Hamburg. It's our yearly tradition. The festival takes place in the city from the 1st of September to the 3rd, hosting more than 120 publishers from across the world. Nina tells me more about this year's edition.
1: This year marks the 10-year anniversary of Die Brüder's IndieCon. And it's a real exciting milestone with, again, 120 exhibitors coming from all over the place to gather, break bread, and share the knowledge around independent publishing. So we're hoping lots of exciting folks will show.
0: And it's funny that IndieCon kind of made Hamburg a little hug for indie publications as well. It's fascinating to see the state of the industry because, you know, even in these 10 years, how do you see the independent uh, magazine market? Because I see it going from strength to strength with challenges, of course, but it's still, I mean, it's incredible, right?
1: Yeah, I think that really is the heart of the matter that over these 10 years, such a amazing community of Publishers has gathered every year with all the shifts and challenges that have been in the past few years from pandemic uh, to climate change to just general global politics and independent publishing still very much is a platform for uh, voices to gather and create community in a way that I think other formats don't lend themselves so well to. This year we actually have different curators curating different publishing planets because the universe of independent publishing is so wide, so broad and beautiful, um, and we have Stephen Watson of uh, Stack sharing the Independent Magazine's planet or curating that. We have Luby Barre of the Storytellers' planet. We have uh, Jake Jung of Ein Buchhaus curating the Artist Books' planet. And we have Colorama's uh, Joanna Majewski dedicating her planet to small press. So it's a vibrant multiverse that awaits once more
0: <laughs> no it is quite vibrant and even some of the guests i speak on the stack so even louise long from linseed magazine i was just chatting and say oh i'm about to speak to nina she was like well i'm, I'm heading to hamburg next weekend for Indicom that just shows how international it is as well it's, it's remarkable you, you have titles from you know several continents it's definitely not just kind of a, a german or even british affair right
1: Absolutely. And I think that's something we pride, we humbly pride ourselves on as well. And I think this year, if all the last minute visas work out, we will be so excited to have magazines like the Ukrainian magazine Zolomia on stage, The Irregular Times from Delhi, in conversation with Jeremy Leslie from Mag Culture. So it really is about being there in person and meeting the publishers in person. And that really is what makes IndyCon such a special experience because uh, magazines live on conversation and that ignites the potential for new magazines and new publishing endeavors.
0: You mentioned Jeremy there. I have a feeling that IndyCon is even good if you are a retailer and want to Find out what titles are out there as well, right? Because there are quite a lot of them, and sometimes when you meet someone, it's, it's different than just kind of, you know, send just a few emails and so on, right?
1: Absolutely. I definitely feel like the discourse program is a big part, as well as our expert talks, which are sort of a mentoring program. So everyone on all sides of being a publishing agent from the publishers, the designers, the writers, the distributors um, is involved in the conversation.
0: Distribution is always a big concern from you know from publishers, right?
1: absolutely it's i think it's one of the number one concerns but there's so many different philosophies on what distribution is especially in the independent publishing world uh from being a zinester to an artist bookmaker to an independent magazine maker and then depending on how these different publishing initiatives are funded or organizing. There's just very different needs and visions of what it means to successfully distribute. And I
0: think it would be a good idea for the big commercial publishers as well to actually pay a visit to Indycom because, I mean, we've seen that. That's definitely a trend that even some of the commercial titles, they have used perhaps language that they discovered with the more independent titles and they see that it, that it could work. So I think it could be a place for inspiration for them as well, right? Have you noticed that perhaps in the previous IndieCons?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely think it's, it's kind of like independent bands and then some of them start really making it big <laughs> in this respect. So I think Indycon is a is a good place for those sort of next level conversations to happen.
0: And of course, if our listeners, if they are in Hamburg or perhaps they are ready, have tickets to go uh, for the weekend to pay a visit to the 10th edition of IndieCon. Uh, tell us how it works. I think the event is from Friday the 1st of September to Sunday, right? And there are all sorts of events, perhaps even a party maybe on Friday?
1: <laughs> yeah, well we, we, we open and celebrate and toast and then there will be a really deep uh, discursive program where the curators will be in conversation with different publishers such as uh, Bea Oakley of Gender Fail with the Small Press. And we have, for example, also Liz Gomez uh, in conversation with Luby Barre and Linda Nübling um, from Off2 Magazine and Girls with Curls. It's just going to be a really vibrant program talking about independent publishing, where we are right now, and the ideas that will then spread from that.
0: Thank you as always, Nina, and for more information, go to IndieCon-Festival.com. And now, to someone that will actually be attending IndieCon this year, I welcome back to the studio Louise Long from the beautiful food title, Lingseed. The second edition, which will be all about the olive, will be out later this year. But meanwhile, Louise is getting busy with her new project, Linseed Supper, a series of dinners celebrating a single seasonal ingredient. I've attended a few weeks ago one of their first ones dedicated to corn. But stay tuned for the walnut supper, and the olive one, of course. For more, Louise stopped by to our studio.
2: I always saw Linseed as a platform to bring people together in person, you know, as much as our Our publication is sort of print-only, it's a physical object. I really wanted Lindsay to be a place to kind of gather, you know, physically in person. And The Supper's a really sort of a different evocation of our central ethos and the way that we sort of look at ideas from around the world. So, yeah, we've just launched a series for Summer and Autumn... And we just had our corn supper last week, which is really which I've attended, fun. I have to <laughs> yeah, say. <laughs> so happy to see you there. And essentially, very much like the publication, we're taking a single theme for each evening and we're sort of riffing very broadly on that for the menu. So we've got corn and then walnuts coming up in September, and then we'll also have olive to celebrate the new issue which is coming out later in the autumn and essentially it's, it's just a really fun way to look at the way that food cultures connect around the world look at food history and really an excuse for me to do lots of research and create some some quite sort of different and surprising menus and as always it's just about getting people together.
0: It's such a nice add-on to the print title, which is very beautiful, almost an ode to food in general for a certain... By the way, I have to say, if if you do go to a linseed supper, you will get, like, besides the manual, like, a little explanation about the corn, and I love the paper, kind of... Oh, so
2: kind, yeah. I
0: mean, you you really think it's true, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of thought behind it, but I I just really take so much pleasure from um, being able to do the research. And again, working with my brilliant designer, Emily, we sort of came up with this sort of companion piece, really, to the menu. So, yeah, it's almost like a sort of newsletter, which has lots of stories from all around the world, past and present And it's just a really nice way to kind of start a conversation, I think, over the dinner. I don't know how you found it, but it was really just a sort of excuse to prompt people and get people to think about the menu in different ways.
0: Absolutely. I mean, especially at the end, there was a corn silk and jasmine tea because Mm. it was not obviously corn, but I was like, there is something about the taste which was quite special. That's just one of the examples of the many things that we ate there.
2: Yeah, it was lovely to hear. So many people actually said that was one of their favourite mm. things. I can't remember where I read that, but I just came across it in one of the books I was reading in the library and it just seemed like the perfect way to end the meal. So you literally just take the corn silks from a cob of corn and steep it in water water, and it's a really sort of green, sort of fresh tea. And yeah, there were lots of little things on the menu that had quite sort of multifarious roots, but, you know, we had a a pre-dessert that was inspired by a, a Mexican drink using purple corn. And I actually personally foraged and picked and grew lots of the ingredients. So things like meadow sweets. So I had a jelly made of meadow sweet, an elderflower cordial. That was one delicious, of actually. Though. Oh, it was kind a refreshing dessert. Yeah. As well,
0: a little bit of granita texture. Mm, as granita well with eat. gooseberries, yeah. which I
2: love. And what else? We had a uh, chocolate truffles at the end as well, which mm-hmm. had... Um, i made a cornflake milk to fit with the chocolate. So it was really fun. And yeah, it was great to have everyone there.
0: Are you fully in charge of the menu? I mean, you said that you do a lot of research and preparation clearly from the things you're telling me or do you have someone that kind of helps you around with this how does it work this when you're thinking about the menu for the supper
2: yeah no it is me I've always been a really keen cook and actually coming up with menus is one of (laughs) one of the things I enjoy most in life so yeah being able to combine that with the sort of research and the printed material side Mm -hmm. of things is actually yeah something that I really relish and yeah i probably spoke to various fans and and tried out recipes on people but Essentially, yeah, it was just things that I'd put together. And, and, and it's also very much rooted in the season. So another sort of core element of each of the themes of the suppers is that they're an ingredient that's really at its peak in that month. So hence corn for August and then walnut next month for September, which will have much more of an autumnal vibe. I've already been picking blackberries and elderberries for that. So I love um, walnuts as well. I feel oh, it's a great, good to know. <laughs> great ingredient.
0: Uh, and is it going to be at the same place? Uh, it is. Yeah. It's such a lovely place. It's called Café Cafe
2: Genco, G- yeah, which is a beautiful new space. It's just opened up in Allgate East. So, yeah, very, very lucky to be able to, to have it there. And yeah, I'm so glad you enjoyed it.
0: I did very much enjoyed. it. Let's talk about the magazine side of things. Mm. I think people are very much looking forward for the second edition. I mean, the first one was Apple. Beautiful. I mean, we spoke here on the stack a year ago. So Olive, I mean, that's another essential item, I mm. think. There's so much that can be done with an Olive. How, how's it going? Are you still, is it almost ready, the issue? Mm,
2: we're still in the thick of it. So yeah. we're sort of about to start the design phase. I opened up, I had another open call at the beginning of this year. Mm. was really delighted, actually. I think we had over 100 responses. And yeah, we've got, I think, similar to the first mm. volume, around 40 contributors from almost many places around the world and a huge variety of submissions so sort of long and short reads poetry contemporary illustration photography feature writing recipe writing and in terms of the theme itself all over again is this timeless almost universal theme which links food culture visual culture spirituality mythology so we sort of we spiral out into all of those themes for the volume and I'm really delighted with all the contributions. It's going to be a really interesting mix, I think, and I can't wait actually to see it on the page now because it's been, yeah, sort of nine months coming together and this is the really, really fun bit where it starts to sort of coalesce and the printed side of things is really critical, so... Yeah.
0: And your magazine, it's very special. There's a lot of different types of paper. Mm. It, it's, it's not like a simple magazine to go through, I, I would say, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's actually divided into four sections mm. and each have their own design identity. So there are different paper stocks within that, which again, we're reviewing for this volume and each is very carefully sort of woven together. So there are ideas that connect across each of the chapters and yeah, we spend a lot of time thinking about the design, mm. which is a real joy, and it and it's just about making sure we're doing justice to everyone's work because I've had such high quality submissions that I really just want everyone to sort of feel proud to be part of it. And I was, you know, delighted with the response for the first one. Mm-hmm. Actually, really surprised. And now that it's sort of distributed all around the world, it's it's been great to to hear responses from people, and we just want to keep that. Keep that going,
0: and there will be a supper for olive, I guess, later be. in the yeah, year as well. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you're doing walnut. I mean, can we expect something with walnut in the future, or maybe? Yeah. <laughs> I
2: mean, it's it's tricky because I'll obviously be doing lots of research again mm. for the walnut supper, but I'm wondering whether to keep these these themes separate. I mean, walnut's a great one for a meal, obviously, because it allows you to do. Mm savory and sweet and things with flour and in the back of my mind I have maybe down the line a sort of compendium of all of these themes maybe as a lovely coffee table book or Mm -hmm. you know even a television series or something which goes into much more detail and allows us to travel and yeah so it won't be the last time I visit these ideas but we'll see.
0: And food is so personal like if I may say like before we started the interview we're talking about foods that we don't mm. like because, but even that is interesting as well For, would you do like a, an issue of, a, of a, perhaps a food that you're not so keen but maybe you can kind of Ooh, that's force that's very yourself interesting
2: to, yeah mine would be serious... avocado
0: I, I can't stand <gasps> avocado but,
2: well you know. they're not very environmentally friendly so that's See? quite a good one <laughs> exactly. yeah yeah oh, that's a really interesting idea i might have to think about that as if not a sort of feature series of things that people don't like and why because i think actually food you don't like often have some kind of personal association you know often to do with memory or inherited dislikes so yeah that's very interesting
0: and if someone wants to go to the supper what what should they do should they go to the linseed website is that the best place yes exactly
2: Yeah, we're selling tickets on our website so that's linseedjournal.com and yeah, we actually almost booked up for September, but we've got our olive one. And then, yeah, I'm already raring to do lots more. So yeah, keep an eye on the website.
0: That's amazing. And, and, and I have to say, because I've been there, I think the attention to detail was everywhere. I mean, from the menu, from the flowers you created, it was a really, really nice experience. Oh,
2: that's really kind. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a real pleasure to put all the thought into it. So when people like yourself appreciate it, so that's really lovely.
0: Thank you very much, Louise. And for more information about tickets, go to linkseedjournal.com. And finally, on the show, it was great chatting with Tim Sumner about his project, To Have and to Hold, a series of titles dedicated to paper bag ephemera. Every issue is dedicated to a specific topic. The latest one is sick bags and some beautifully designed ones let's find out more with
3: tim so having to hold is a self-published zine that i've put together it sort of stems from a university project that i did sort of about 10 years ago and yeah it's just a collection of paper bags i guess to sort of set it up it was, a, it was supposed to be one book as a kickstarter I think that was sort of the start of lockdown and the kickstarter didn't end up coming to fruition so off the back of that i then started the instagram and then was like oh well i love pub- i wanted to get to publishing so i just thought i'll just publish a zine and it kind of went from there really the first one is bookshops which i don't think you've got with you but i will send you a copy down they are um As rare as hen's teeth these days, because you got they're sold out everywhere. I think I've got like eight copies. Because
0: you know why it's sold out? Because it's such a fascinating idea, and and I was looking at issue three, which is about sick bags. And I got to be honest, until I've seen this book, of course I've seen sick bags in the plane and everything. But then I never realized actually that there's some great design in there. There's even some funny ones as well. Perhaps it's something that people don't actually realize. But then when you see a collection of them, it's it's fascinating, right? I guess that's what you've seen it all along.
3: Yes, yeah, definitely. Like the sick bag ones, some of them are, like there's one with the word search on, ones where the, the bag is sort of self-referencing itself. And there's all these other strange um, there's ones that I couldn't put in, which were a bit too occult. <laughs>
0: why not? Why not?
3: Well, one of them was, it, so in the back of it, there's two. One's a doggy bag and one's a food blender. One was for using it to pick up your, your you know, dog. Like, can, can I say dog shit? Yes, you can. No. <laughs> so, I was like, been... oh, yeah. so it was like, you know, using it to pick up. Yeah. And I was like, should I put that in or not? And I thought, maybe not. Yeah, I'd probably give that a miss
0: but there's some yeah. funny ones like for example there's one i think by euro wings it says it's all right to think about another airline sometimes i can see what they did yes. there.
3: Yeah, yeah yeah that's a good one yeah and some classics in there like pan-am which is obviously like a bit of a design classic that's no longer around and then things that like syrian air just ones that you, i suppose you don't really think about and you don't think about these airlines and obviously i haven't collected them all i mean i'm not I'm not a serious, I don't know I haven't got air miles for days. They're just people donate them or, you know, they're from collections which I've acquired.
0: There's a great story here about uh, Steven Superberg, a, p- a patron of yeah. Puke as well. does that, that, yeah, that yeah, that, a funny yeah, that, kind of introduction in a way to this kind of edition. Yeah, Steven's,
3: a, um, Steven's a nice guy. I got in touch with him. So, how it usually works like, I kind of just find somebody and I just go sort of doing this strangely niche publishing zine. Most of the time, people are kind of up for it. And Steven was like game from the off. And he's got a website, uh, I think it's called airsicknessbags.com. And it's, you know, he's got thousands and thousands. So he was keen to just get involved.
0: What's your background, Uh, by the way, Tim?
3: I've always been a graphic designer. One of the studios I worked at, I ended up just falling into doing a lot of editorial and publishing. And then from there, I kind of just thought, well, I just want to publish books now and do my own thing. And this was sort of a great opportunity to do that, I guess. Obviously the design, the scanning, you know, all that sort of stuff's fun. And then I guess another part of it, which I really enjoy is the sort of chase for stockists and like getting it out there and promoting it to people and people seeing people's reaction. And there's certain shops like Culture or so then I'm like, Oh, I'd love to get in there. So I just sort of message them and go. I've got this. Do you like it? On you know, and the most of the time, people are like, "Oh yeah, just send a few copies down." And so the first one was three hundred copies that I did, and then two and three have been five hundred, and they're all hand numbered. So I kind of just did that because obviously it falls in mainly falls in with the sort of shop aspect of it, and it just adds that. I love books that have got like a hand finished element to them. They're not just sort of mass produced, and you know, I suppose we're going down a bit of a rabbit hole there. But you know, there's always something. You know, each one sort of feels slightly unique in a in a sense.
0: I love the format. So it's kind of a smaller size, but then you know, talking about paper bags, it does have the feel of a paperback. The wrapper on the magazine.
3: So with with the wrapper, so mm. the the original one, the bookshops want. I wanted to use this specific Japanese paper called Takeo Craft and it's like 60 grams because it resembles a paper bag. Yeah. So I thought I'll die cut. So the the kind of serrated edge gives the idea that the book itself is in a bag.
0: Is the idea to have, uh, you know, there's three outs now, as you said, bookshops, museums, and sick bags is the plan to continue with four, five, six. So how how does that work?
3: I think so. I was listening to the um, David is it Shaftel from Racket, and he was mentioning that if he got to eight, he would be quite happy with that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, if I could get to eight, and then I'll sort of look back, and because there are loads of bags in the archive that I couldn't fill, you know, a 70-page zine. So I'd love to do like one big book at the end with everything in. But I think the next one will probably be, like, department stores, and then you've got, like, supermarkets. So it's ones where they're going to fill it and there's quite a few within that theme to do so
0: i'm sure you have some sort of following where people say oh you know what i've seen this amazing bag and maybe because they follow you on social media your account and and then say oh please include in the next one or something like that
3: yeah oh yeah some some do like it's got a really good following which i Mm. really didn't expect i thought it would just be me you know shouting into a vacuum (laughs) 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 here's a few bags do you like them or not but yeah i've sort it's it's done really I'm kind of astonished at how popular the whole project is and that's through other things like the ephemera society i've been a big supporter of it as well they're always sort of publishing it in their sort of quarterly magazine but no hopefully we'll continue on and if i make it to eight then happy days um and we'll keep spreading the word and trying to get it far and wide i think that's the that's the aim do
0: you have some sort of a favorite one, I, I don't know, from your personal collection? I mean, that's that's a hard question, but I mean, because as I said, I'm obsessed with some of those plain ones. They're just so beautiful.
3: I think some of the favorite ones, there's one in the second one, which is the London Transport Museum. And it's got this sort of beautiful London double-decker bus on it. That's really nice. And Is it this one? You're actually, I yes, just opened yes, the page. Yeah, that yes. one, yeah. Okay. yeah that, that's really nice. There's too many, there's like 2000 and something in the actual archive itself. But the London Transport ones are definitely up there. Or the I think the Imperial War Museum, just because the, the logo itself is outstanding.
0: And perhaps, yeah. you know, you mentioned, you know, that at the beginning, the idea was actually to make a book out of it, but I mean, the idea is still there, perhaps maybe at the end of, of the journey, maybe everything could be together in a book, right?
3: Yes. I, th- I see. Sort of continue on with doing the zines and so sort of the joy of that, and then eventually it will be one big huge tomb of a book, which has just got everything, everything in it. The things that don't fill the zine and whatever else, you know. And then all the text and the essays or whatever will all sort of fit in it. And yeah, that's definitely the end goal. But yeah, it's getting there, isn't it? And funding and all that sort of stuff. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. There's, there's definitely a readership or, you know, there's there's fans of it. It shows through the Instagram and the sales of the book that people are interested in, especially now that everything's sort of moving online, you know, and the, the the high streets are probably not something that they once were. It's nice to look back. And these things sort of track, like, social history and things like that, you know, like jubilees and royal weddings and war. And I think in the new one, there's a sick bag from... The D Day landings, you know, they're they're, they are everywhere. Sort of sounds like I've got some crazy fetish, but (laughs) it's a good (laughs) good fetish to have because you know, yeah, some some fetishes are healthy, yeah. Um, maybe
0: they feel good actually in touch, no paper bags as well. I think there's something gentle about them. I think they're quite environmentally friendly, they look good. I mean, what's not to like, right?
3: (laughs) I think that's it, isn't it? Like they kind of go hand in hand with. Books like the just the tactility of them, there's something just joyous about it. Um, Especially like with the paper as well in the book, I've tried to make it as fragile as possible, almost Mm. reflects the aesthetics or characteristics of the bags themselves. So you know, there's a a lot of thought has gone into it.
0: Thank you very much, Dean. For more information, go to paperbagarchive.com. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Jack Jewers. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fp@monaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Meanwhile, do subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Madonna, to have and not to hold. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me.